This week on Worldview, India prepares to receive a Russian missile system, which could trigger US sanctions. We'll tell you all about the Katsa law and the S-400 deal. Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Now, Russian President Vladimir Putin will be in India, in Delhi, in early December for an annual summit along with many other important meetings. And so will the Russian S-400 Triumph long-range air defense systems, as they're called. Uh, they're coming in parts, but the first batch of them is supposed to be ready by uh, the end of December. The question everyone is asking, will the U.S. government now place sanctions on India? Or will President Biden use his powers to waive those sanctions? First, let's de-jargonize a bit. Now, CATSA, C-A-A-T-S-A, is the countering of American adversaries through Sanctions Act. It is a 2018 American law pushed actually through by the Democrats during President Trump's tenure that actually mandates that uh, the U.S. government or the U.S. president must put financial sanctions, travel bans on any country or its officials who are part of transacting any significant military or uh, intelligence deal with three countries, Russia, Iran, and North Korea, seen as American adversaries. Remember, this is only a U.S. law. It is not a U United Nations law or an international law, and it can actually be ignored by any country. So what are the kind of sanctions that the U.S. can impose under this law, or is it mandated to impose under this law? According to the sections 231 and 235 of the CATSA law, the U.S. president must impose no less than five of about 12 actions. What are those actions? There are a number of them that are listed, uh, but they basically broadly involve stopping credit lines from the United States, putting pressure really on uh, international banks like the IMF and World Bank also to withdraw credit lines. The second option is to cancel or block sales of licensed goods and technology. Anything that needs a license can be stopped. For example, the U.S., cancelled a deal to sell Turkey F-35 jets uh, when they were in the process of buying the S-400. The third option is to ban banks, manufacturers, suppliers, uh, property transactions from the sanctioned country, basically making it very difficult for that country to trade. And we've seen that with American sanctions in many countries. Uh, the fourth is a financial and visa sanctions on specific officials. With both China in 2018 and then Turkey in 2020, the U.S. actually froze the accounts and banned uh, travel, uh, not just for the, uh, the defense authorities or the defense entity that was importing the S-400, but also on the director, the chief of those defense authorities. So given this, that this is there in the U.S. law, what has India's stand really been on U.S. sanctions? Theoretically, of course, and in the past, India doesn't accept or honor unilateral sanctions imposed by any country. It only follows the United Nations and international law. However, there's been exceptions, and most notably, the Modi government made that exception uh, to this precept when it decided to cancel its oil supplies from both Iran and Venezuela, uh, which were under the threat of U.S. sanctions in 2019. While the U.S. in fact had even made a small carve-out for Iran's Chabahar port, 
Uh, India reduced its planned investment in the Iran port, rail connectivity deal as well, due to just the US sanctions on other Iranian companies and oil entities. Uh, so that is where India made the exception. But on the S-400, the government has stood firm. In 2018, one year after the Katsa law was actually passed and after it became clear that the S-400 would trigger US sanctions, India went ahead with the deal, signing the deal and making advance payments uh, through a rupee-ruble mechanism, as it's called, that is kind of in, in, insulated from American sanctions and now as of the previous week has begun to receive the initial parts shipments for the first of five S-400 systems that India has bought uh, for a total of $5.43 billion. Now when asked, the Ministry of External Affairs has said that the possible sanctions were being discussed with the US government. So on the one hand, it is acknowledging that it's not ignoring these US sanctions, but on the other, Indian diplomats have said the S-400 is about India's national security interest and it cannot be cancelled. So it's not making a principal stand in that sense, but saying that for the S-400, we are not going to accept US sanctions. India has particularly made a point that, the Rus that Russia is a traditional or legacy defense partner, making up uh, about 70% of its current arsenal, and it's, it's over the last few decades. And while India has grown its defense purchases from the U.S. manifold, there's supposed to be more purchases happening in the next uh, month, really. Uh, it is very difficult to reduce this kind of uh, dependence on Russian purchases at this point. Uh, besides, the military has already decided and taken the call that the S-400 beats other market alternatives. Um, in a sense, the Russian delivery of Katsa parts, as I said right now, this month, has really thrown down the gauntlet for the US government. Uh, and now it has to really decide what's next. The ball is in the US's court. And what are the US's choices? So let's just take a look at what are its choices. And this is going to play out over the next month, at least, through the US Congress sessions, through what we see as uh, the Biden administration's reaction to the S-400 being brought into India. The first, the US could go ahead as it did with China and with Turkey, not ignored the fact that the S-400s have arrived. With China and Turkey, pretty soon after the arrival, it announced financial sanctions. So it could announce financial sanctions on India or on defense entities in India. The second, this is option two, and this is possibly the most important. Biden could delay the sanctions. Uh, he's allowed to under the law for six months at a time, as in waive the sanctions. But he needs to certify that this waiver for India is, quote-unquote, vital to the national security interests of the United States. This should not be very difficult to do, given that India is an important strategic partner to the U.S. in the Quad. Uh, it's also part of the U.S. efforts at countering China's co uh, actions in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, and, and we're seeing that relationship grow year upon year with exercises, with defense purchases, and all the rest. Uh, so, Technically, Mr. Biden could make this exception on this basis. Remember, there's already, and this is really option number three, there's already a CATSA amendment uh, proposal that was brought by about uh, by three Republican senators, including Ted Cruz. Uh, and this one is another acronym. It's called CRUCIAL, or the Circumspectly Reducing Unintended Consequences, Impairing Alliances and Leadership Act. If this amendment goes through, it would essentially build a waiver 
for the US's quadrilateral partners or quad partners, Japan, Australia, India, and Democrats could then help pass uh, this in the upcoming December or January Congress sessions. What it would need, though, is for Mr. Biden to actually certify that India is not cooperating, that India is not participating in quadrilateral cooperation on security matters before he's able, uh, uh, before imposing those uh, sanctions. So if he's able to say that India is cooperating with the US in the quadrilateral, then there is a waiver for a period of about 10 years that could come kick into place automatically. So this sounds fairly complicated. So what is option number four? Uh, Mr. Biden could simply bring those sanctions and terminate them uh, and terminate their use against India. And this under the law he can do if he makes a determination that India will not knowingly engage in activities subject to sanctions under the, in the future. In other words, India won't do any more purchases of or significant transactions with Russia. Now, this is an assurance that India is unlikely to ever give the US, at least not in the foreseeable future and perhaps never. Um, so what is option five? Uh, and that is uh, another one that the US seems unlikely to do, and that is to scrap the CATSA law itself. Given that the law contravenes the United Nations order, it is purely unilateral, and it's even whimsical, depending on which way the US's relations are at with each of these three countries. For example, remember the US placed sanctions on Iran, then withdrew them, then reimposed them, all in the space of a decade. So more than two dozen countries come under United States sanctions at present. And India would have to keep a track of each one of those then in its dealings. The US is, for many reasons, which should be fairly obvious, is most likely to exercise option two for the moment, which means delaying the sanctions, taking that six-month waiver, but keeping the threat of CATSA sanctions alive until it considers all its options in its relationship with India. India is not only an important partner, any move to sanction it will definitely backfire on the United States. It could even cause India to strengthen its defense relationship with Russia as a result and could be completely counterproductive, as many have argued. Finally, it would definitely weaken the U.S.'s coalitions to counter uh, any attempt to keep the uh, keep China at bay or in terms of keeping a free and open Indo-Pacific. So given all of these very important reasons why the US really should go ahead and waive sanctions against India, what could be some of the reasons if it doesn't waive the sanctions? Uh, um, as I said, it is expected to do that. Firstly, the waivers themselves weaken the Katsa law. And this, after all, is something that the Democrats brought to the Congress. Uh, in 2017. The second reason is that a waiver to India will no doubt be protested by Turkey, which is a NATO ally of the United States and in fact has two bases where US Air Force and military have access, that's in Incirlik and in Izmir. Uh, Turkey's government is bound to ask why they were sanctioned so quickly in December 2020 if India is not going to face the same punitive actions. Uh, another consideration is that the Biden government won't want to encourage other countries like Saudi Arabia to conduct defense deals with Russia in the hope of also getting some kind of a waiver. In fact, for the S-400 specifically, the US had actually offered Saudi Arabia uh, an alternative system, the THAAD, the Terminal High Altitude Area Defense System, uh, when they found this Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in some negotiations with Russia. 
on that deal. Clearly, the US is being confronted with a catch-22 on CATSA. It needs to recognize the perils of these unilateral sanctions fairly soon. Apart from having little effect on the regimes that it wishes to weaken, like Iran, North Korea and Russia, and impacting instead poorer people in those countries, uh, it is a clear contravention of the rules-based international law that the US espouses and bases its ties with India on. India's tough stand on this as a result must be unwavering, unlike the case of Iranian oil. Now, we do have several articles at The Hindu, uh, www.thehindu.com on the S-400 and Katsa. My colleague in uh, Washington, Sriram Lakshman, has written some. We have an FAQ uh, as well as an editorial. And here's some other reading you may find useful uh, to the issue. In 1998, in fact, uh, Richard Haas wrote this seminal piece on economic sanctions and American diplomacy and the question of do they work? Who do they really hurt? Uh, are they a deterrent to those countries uh, that the U.S. is seeking to uh, contain or control in some way? The second book is uh, The Opposite, Containing Russia, How to Respond to Moscow's Intervention in U.S. Democracy and Growing Geopolitical Challenge. This is uh, by former ambassador to India, Robert Blackwell as well as Philip Gordon, and they talk about what are the options when it comes uh, to sanctions. There's another one, another counter to that, uh, which is called American Dove, U.S. Foreign Policy and the Failure of Force. And this is by Zachary Shirky. It's a more recent book, uh, quite an interesting take on not only the U.S.'s military interventions, but also these financial uh, interventions and sanctions. Uh, there's an interesting book on Iran and the US called the Iran Wars, Spy Games, Bank Battles, and the Secret Deals that Reshaped the Middle East by Jay Solomon. Uh, an interesting look at how those uh, uh, sanctions and talks panned out between US and Iran. And then on India, there is a collected work called A New Era, India-Russia Ties in 21st Century, uh, by Nandanuni Krishnan and others. And it's basically a work that uh, shows you why India is so particular uh, about uh, sticking its feet in uh, when it comes to the Russian deal on the S-400. Uh, finally, a monograph, if you can get your hands on, called Iran's Relations with Russia and India Under the American Sanctions. This is by three authors. It's independently published. If, uh, As I said, if you get a hold of it, it is definitely worth a read. That's all we have time for here on Worldview, but do join us again. And from the team here, thanks for watching.